This morning's scriptures uh, come to us from 1 Corinthians and then from the Gospel of John, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. If not, the words will be on the screen uh, for you there as well. We're going to be, uh, be reading in chapter 9, verse 24, through the end of the chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We're going to continue in God's word in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Again, hearing from the Lord. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins on the money cha- uh, of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you, give, uh, would you give God your heart as we go to him in prayer together? Lord, we come before you, offering our whole selves to you. Thankful for the wisdom of your word. And we ask that you would help us to to meet with you now and come to know you more and more through it. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word and indeed your ultimate will. Open our hearts that we would feel your power. Then by your grace, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an exciting day uh, as we conclude our series on harvest, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we've been working week by week uh, through the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, 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 and this series has blessed my life. And, and working through each of these, I've, I've learned something new about God and learned something new about myself. And, and I hope it's been fruitful for you as well, but God has an incredible sense of humor, doesn't he? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and today we arrive at the last, self-control. The night after a week of American League Championship Series, the night, the, the, the day after the night of Game 6, self-control. What does self-control look like to you? Well, for me, it did not look so good last night. In the, the bottom of the, in the top of the ninth, I am, I am ready. 
I'm ready, my body is ready, my life is ready, my spirit is ready, everything is ready for the World Series, amen? We are feeling good, top of the ninth, we are winning 4-2, to two. we have our closer on the mound, we are feeling confident, we are feeling good. He has been dominant this entire series, he's been solid throughout the playoffs, and then DJ LeMayhew, who is a monster in his own right, fouls ball off after ball off after ball off, and I find within myself anxiety rising. You know the adage, right? The longer the at-bat goes, the greater the chance for the batter to win the day. And so on the 10th pitch of the at-bat, DJ LeMayhew drives a ball weakly over into the first row of the right field boxes of Minute Maid Park. What was self-control like for you at that moment in your home? It wasn't pretty in my home. Uh, so uh, my, my first grader was asleep, my, uh, my tenth grader was asleep, my wife was asleep, uh, or at least all kind of settling down for the night. But Aiden and I were watching the show, my, my eighth grade son, and, and in that moment there was uh, uh, outburst of language that was not appropriate to share in, in this sacred and holy place. But why? How ridiculous is that? That watching a game could cause me to lose discipline and control. I could be better than that. I, I believe it. I'm going to strive after it. But then the bottom of the ninth came. Amen? The top of the ninth did not have the final day. The bottom of the ninth did. And, 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 and you know, when George Springer walked and he didn't, uh, he didn't chase, he didn't get too big, I thought, okay, progress. This is something awesome. And then the mighty... Five foot six, 168 pound, and five foot six is being generous. 168 pound Jose Altuve come up, comes up to the bat. Two balls. You think that they're going to just pitch around him. You think that they're going to walk him. One strike, slider, inside corner. Then, <laughs> then, <laughs> slider, outside corner. Jose Altuve, I do not know how he reaches to the outside corner and drives the ball, not over the Crawford boxes, over the Conoco pump, puts a dent into the wall, and says to everybody, we're going to the World Series! Let's go! <laughs> so that's a little, that's just a little, a little bit of, of what it was in my home last night. That was just a glimpse, just a um. Aiden and I were high-fiving, we were hugging, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Uh, voice is still raspy, you could hear the rasp from last night. Uh, woke up my family, woke up, woke up my neighbors probably. Um, lost control though, really. Like, um, 
like, like I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the joy and the exuberance and the excitement, you know, uh, all that's good. But like, if you ask me honestly, Jason, were you in control in that moment? The answer is no. Not in control. Why? Why, why do we allow the context we're in to create within us a lack of control. I've struggled with self-control my whole life. Uh, I, I'm an impulsive person. I'm a spontaneous person. And those things, like, like, like nothing's wrong with those things. You know, Lauren and I, we'd be uh, in seminary. Uh, I was in seminary in, in Atlanta. And like Friday morning, we'd wake up. I'd be like, let's go to the mountains. <laughs> you know, we drive up to the mountains. Where are we going to stay? Don't know. What are we going to do? Don't know. Where are we going to go? I don't, uh, let's, we're going to the mountains. We just drive north. Like, and, and, and so like impulse, impulsivity, spontaneity, those are maybe like positive versions of this thing within me. But this like lack of self-control is something within me that is not of the spirit. And so I, I have to be honest that there's tension there. But we might think like, like whenever we get to this self-control, this fruit of the spirit of self-control, we might think that that means that, that we're supposed to be passive or we're supposed to be inactive or, 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 or that there's inaction built into what we're doing. But that, that's a, a total mischaracterization of what self-control looks like. It's not passivity and inaction. It's actually a, a clear and focused action. It's having control to know when and what to act on and how. To always be in control in such a way where your action is faithfully directed and you're striving after something greater. And Jesus gives us a picture of that in John chapter 2, the cleansing of the temple. The other gospels show another cleansing of the temple that's af, uh, as, as he arrives on, on Passover for uh, his Palm Sunday entrance. But in John, he, he describes another one at the beginning of his ministry, and he enters into his father's house. He enters into the temple, and he, he's there, and his, his, his father's house is supposed to be a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place where people are reconciled and made new in their relationship with God. He knows that that's the intent of this space, and yet, and yet that's not what he sees. When he looks around God's house, it's a marketplace. People are getting rich off of, God's, off of God's worship. People aren't being generous. People are being greedy. Uh, people are leveraging their position in order to get rich. And so he sees money changers. People, people coming from all over the world to bring their offerings to God, but they don't have the right currency. So they're going to get charged extra in order to offer to God. People travel from all over, but they don't have the right animals for their sacrifice or couldn't bring them along because they were traveling so far. And so they get charged exorbitant prices in order to be able to make those sacrifices. And Jesus looks on this and despises it. He looks on this and he's, he's filled with a holy God-centered anger and rage that needs to accomplish a faithful task of cleansing his father's house for the work of worship. And so what does Jesus do? He gives us an image of self-control. He didn't walk in and see it and say, boom, blowing up, flipping over tables, chasing everybody out. 
If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline this verse because I, I find it critical for us in understanding th- th- this moment for Jesus. It's in verse 15. It, said, it says he sees all this, all this going on, and then what happens? He makes a whip out of cords and drove them all out. So get this image. I want you to be able to imagine it. Jesus walks in, sees all of this, knows this is not what God desires, has the discipline, the self-control to step aside for even a critical moment. Imagine him sitting in the corner on the step, and he has cords, and he makes, weaves, crafts a whip out of those cords. That's a moment of pause. That's a moment for listening so that God can teach what, what, do you, what do you want in this moment. And so here, Jesus takes that time. How long would it take you to weave a whip out of cords? Five minutes? Ten? Maybe more? Twenty? Jesus has the discipline to take the time to be under control, listen for the Father's voice, and then to act. He he doesn't listen and then it leads to inaction. He doesn't pause and then it leads to passivity. He pauses and makes the whip and then God leads him to action and he faithfully restores the temple of God as a house of worship. Critical to the faith. And so whenever we hit those moments where, where, where our adrenaline starts to rush and things start to pump within us and we start to either get angry or exuberant and we're at one end or the other, but we're, our emotions are overtaking us and we're out of control, what does it look like to pause, to draw in, to allow ourselves to have a centering moment where we could listen and know what does it look like to be appropriately committed to a discipline of self-control here in this space? And you might be called in that time to do things that you're uncomfortable with. To act in ways that God leads you that you did not perceive possible. And yet, that's what self-control can produce, a harvest within you. Paul describes what that kind of discipline, what that kind of control looks like. He, he, he talks about it in the image of a race. And, and I want you to get in your minds the, the Colosseum because the Paul's talking about a Greco-Roman culture where, where, where they would come together and boxers would be in the center, fighters would be in the center, gladiators would be in the center, races would happen in the center, and you would have thousands, hundreds of thousands of people gathered together to watch this spectacle in the middle of the, 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 the tournament ring. And so, so whenever we think about, hey, we're, we're putting it on TV and everybody's watching it, similar thing. Everybody coming together to see what is going on here in this space. And he says, what do those folks do? They have to prepare. They have to train. They, they, they cannot go into that arena without training and preparing themselves. Because if they're going in, they're going in for one purpose. Winning. Boy, I like when Paul says this. They're going in it to win it. They are trying to win in anything they do. And Paul describes it that way. He says, whatever you do, do it as though you're going to win. Don't go in thinking you're going to lose. Have you ever watched a, a game, a football game, basketball game, and you've seen 
one team go in knowing they're going to lose? Intimidated, scared, afraid? What happens? They lose every time, all the time, all day long, every day. They're going to lose. If you go in and you've prepared to lose and you think you're going to lose, you're just going to lose. Paul says that's not how we do anything. We do everything as though we're going to win. And we strive to win and we prepare to win. And we put everything we have in it to win. But here's the deal. And I need to hear this so I know that some of you need me me to hear this in front of you. You got to know what the definition of winning is in every circumstance. Because sometimes winning isn't the win that God's looking for in you. Do everything as though to win, but know what winning is for God in every circumstance. And then you have these things. How do you, how do you land on a self-control way of life? You prepare. You prepare. That means if there are arenas in your life where you don't have control, you dive deeply there. You push there. You lean in there. You don't retreat there. You push in there. If there are spaces where you don't have control, you strive for control. And God can produce that in you by the power of his spirit. You prepare. And then you listen. You take that pause and you listen and say, what does it look like to exercise control here? What does it look like to win here? God, reveal that to me. And when he does, you act. You act on that. And whatever he calls you to, you follow through with all that you have, with all that you are to win. That's a life of self-control. This series has been powerful for me. I've been called to preach on things that I'm not good at, or at least I don't think I'm good at. But here's the deal. I have the Holy Spirit in me, so it's not about what I'm good at. It's not about what I could do, but it's about what the Spirit does in me. So I need to totally understand that, that, that it's not my capacity that produces kindness. It's not my capacity that produces self-control, but it's the Spirit's capacity at work in me that accomplishes those things. And so I know that, I know that we have a, a, a challenge before us because a lot of us can, can grasp what it looks like to, to, to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are words and descriptors, and so we, we can say, okay, this is how I'm going to operate. But a whole lot of us kind of step away or shy back whenever, shy away from whenever we hear that this is the fruit of the Spirit. Because a lot of us have not ever encountered the Holy Spirit. Some of you haven't encountered the Holy Spirit, and some of you are ashamed by that. And I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to hear from Acts chapter 8. You see, uh, Peter and John, they arrive in a community, and there's a whole community of people that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a community of people that love the Lord Jesus, and and they, they want to follow him with all that they are and all that they have, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. If that is you today, I want you to know you're not alone. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And here's what, they, here's what they say to this community. Peter, uh, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. 
They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It means they believed in the Lord Jesus, but had not received the Spirit. So Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit of God, some of you say, well, I don't know this Spirit. I haven't met the Holy Spirit. I haven't encountered the Holy Spirit. I don't know if the Spirit's in me, but I believe in Jesus Christ. That's okay. You're not alone, but here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to pray, as Peter and John did, that you would receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going I'm to ask God to baptize each and every one of us with the Holy Spirit. And, and if you've met the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you've experienced that, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit will come upon you afresh and renew himself in you in powerful ways. But if, if you've never met the Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would, would come over all of us and that we would know what it means to live by those very fruit. Because we cannot experience true, authentic love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control unless it's by the working of the Spirit. So I'm going to pray that over us. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we're going to pause in a moment of silence and we're going to meet with you and we're going to, we're going to hear from you and God, if, if If we've experienced the working of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you would remind us of all the ways in which you've been at work in our lives and, and show us, reveal to us those moments where we've experienced your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those of us that haven't experienced your Spirit, Lord, I ask that you would, that, that you would allow the, the cry of our hearts to, to meet with you in this space of silence. Lord, we're going to come before you and we're just going to pray in a moment of silence for your Holy Spirit. God, I lift my hands and I ask that you would baptize your church with your Holy Spirit. That, that we would have the, the Holy Spirit at work in us, moving within us. That, 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 that we would be convicted by your Spirit. That we would be transformed by your Spirit. That we would come to know the working of your Spirit in our lives. And, and, and we, would, we would see the world in a different way. That, that, that as we look out into the world, we'd see the world as you see it by the power of your Spirit. And God, we, we pray for love. We pray for joy. We pray for peace. We pray for patience and kindness for goodness and faithfulness. We pray for gentleness and self-control. But we pray those things in us by the power of your Spirit. So I ask, God, that you would baptize your people with the Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit would wash over us, envelop us, overcome us, and the obstacles that we build up to, to, to deny you. built up to divide ourselves from you, God. We repent of that. We ask that you meet with us. Holy Spirit, move in us. Reside in us. 
pray in Jesus' name.